Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Let me invite you to turn to the book of Revelation, either page 5 on your order of service or if you have a Bible. And I think that you'll see in just a moment what a wonderful passage this is, a passage for us to enjoy as it's read together. Um, highly unusual that this kind of material should be in our Bibles. And this is what God has given to us. While you're, while you're finding that, let me just take a moment to add my welcome to Wills. My name is David Gibson. I'm the minister here at Trinity, and it's a real joy, uh, like Will, to welcome you into our midst this morning. Like Will did on page 11, the notices, I do want to just draw your attention back to them again, not, not to anything in particular, but just for you to notice that the notices are longer this morning than they have been for quite a while, and that is because we, we really hope and pray from here on that we are on a trajectory, God willing, to greater normality over the coming months. We hope And we pray, God willing, that by around mid-August, early September, we will have a much, much greater degree of normality within church life. And because of that, what I want to say this morning is just to prepare us as a church family for lots of changes over the coming months. I think we've got used to more rapid-fire changes than we normally have, but there are going to be more changes coming as we return to normal And as that happens, I think if we get to mid-August, early September, and nothing has upset you in church life, I think you'll be doing well. And what I mean by that is for some people, we're going to move too quickly. For other people, we're going to move far too slowly. We're going to be too risky. We're going to be too risk-averse. Church life at the minute, as we return to normal, is a time, isn't it, for big hearts and long fuses and thick skins and to bear with one another in love as we try to lead us back as a fellowship, back to what we knew before, and as we uh, come back, hopefully, God willing, like I say, to much greater normality. So do bear with us, bear with one another uh, over the coming weeks. Please read the notices week by week. You'll see other things that are going to change soon, uh, and like I say, there'll be more of that, more of that to follow. So let's turn to God's Word then, the book of Revelation, and I'm going to read the whole of chapter 12. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. 
And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. On those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And the dragon stood on the sand of the sea. Amen. One of the many reasons that I am a attracted to the Lord Jesus, so attracted to him is that every time I think I have Jesus taped and understood and I, I know who he is, every time I think that I discover new depths to him. One of the many reasons that we should love the Bible is that every time we think we know it all, we come across new dimensions to its riches. Revelation chapter 12 There's a dragon in my nativity, dreadful and immense. The shepherds quake, the wise men wake and spill their frankincense. There's a dragon by the stable. I don't know why he's there. He hasn't brought a present and he only seems to glare. He hovers over David's town that still beneath him lies. Yet no one's sleep is dreamless beneath his piercing eyes. Friends, today as we look at this chapter, I want to invite you to use your imaginations in a wonderful way as we look at Revelation chapter 12 together. So a passage like this today, there are no points in my preaching. Okay, I promise you, they're not hidden. I haven't disguised them. There are no points in my preaching. Genuinely none. Now, what we want to do today is to see with eyes of faith what John sees in his vision here. Here is an imaginative way to understand the world and to understand your place in it. We have to imagine this morning. You can't read a passage like this, can you, with your imagination switched off? No, this dragon isn't visible. With ordinary sight, you cannot snap a selfie, or televise his flight. Now, what what John is doing here is 
pulling back the curtains on reality and saying that the story of the world is the story of evil, the evil of the devil locked in combat against the goodness of God. The story of the world is a clash of kingdoms, a clash of darkness against light. And you are in that fight today, friends. You are in it whether you know it or not. We've told our kids for years growing up, we've said to our kids again and again, you have to kill the dragon. You have to kill the dragon. You will spend your life fighting him and you have to kill him because the dragon wants to kill you. It's such a brilliant way, isn't it, to tell the story of the world. Look at the opening verses. Two signs, a woman and a dragon. And a great sign appeared in heaven. The first sign, a woman. Look at her, clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. Now we are not left to our imaginations, are we, trying to work out who is this dragon? Look at verse 9. John tells us explicitly the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who is called the devil or called Satan. So this sign, the dragon, has a reality behind it, the devil, Satan who deceives the whole world. But look, friends, here's the beauty of the Bible. Look at this woman, verse 1. Can you imagine a woman like this, clothed with the sun? And she is standing on the moon. And she has 12 stars on her head. What a picture. What a woman. Who is she? Do you remember what God said to the dragon at the very start of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, 15? Do you remember what God said? Now, you remember this, friends, after last week. You, you come to church when we're reading Revelation. You come to church to do your recycling. Okay, when we're reading the book of Revelation, there is nothing new here. Nothing new in this book. Just a new way of saying what we already know. Genesis 3.15, God addressed the dragon, the serpent, Satan, the devil. What did he say? I will put enmity, I will put warfare between who? You and the woman. You and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you will strike his heel. Friends, it is an amazing thing. Don't, don't let anybody ever tell you that the Bible is all about patriarchy. It's all about men as the principal actors. No, the story of the Bible is the story of the woman against the dragon from beginning to end. Woman against dragon. And the woman's offspring against the dragon and his offspring. It's why John reaches for this sign here in Revelation chapter 12. Now, when you look at verses 4 and 5, it is obviously a picture of Mary giving birth to the Lord Jesus, isn't it? Because of who the child is, verse 5. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. 
And yet, look at it again, this woman is more than Mary. Look at verse 17, the last verse of the chapter. The dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on, on those who keep, <clears throat> excuse me, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. You see that? The, the offspring of this woman is not just her own literal offspring. It's those who hold to the teaching of Jesus. It's Christians. Mary has morphed there, hasn't she, in verse 17, into more than Mary. And you see, in the Old Testament, those images from the opening verse, chapter 12, verse 1, in the Old Testament, the sun, the moon, and the stars became a picture for the whole people of God. They're a picture of the church. They're a picture of Eve and her offspring as a whole. Genesis chapter 37, Joseph, remember Joseph the dreamer, has a dream that his mother, his father, and his brothers are the sun, the moon, and the stars. His father Jacob, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. How many stars on this woman's head? 12 stars. Did you see what John is doing for us here? Here is a picture of Israel. God's people, he's imagining God's people as a magnificent woman. God's people as a bride. And from the dawn of time until now, this woman has been locked in conflict with the great deceiver. The one who is out to destroy us. And at the same time, all along, what has God promised? That from this one woman, from Israel, from his people will come a child who will do what? A child who will be a serpent slayer. A child who will come and bruise the serpent's head. I wonder if you know that the Old Testament speaks about Israel as a pregnant woman who is about to give birth to the Messiah. Did you know that? Of course you know that. Isaiah 54, Isaiah 66. You're all saying, years ago we did the book of Isaiah. Remember that. Isaiah 66, God's people who were like a barren woman, when they were in exile, God said, I'm going to call you back to Jerusalem and I'm going to give you so many children, you're going to need to build multiple extensions to your houses. Isaiah 66, for as soon as Zion was in labor... She brought forth her children. So yes, Revelation 12, yes, this is a picture of Mary giving birth to the Lord Jesus, but only a picture of Mary because she's a woman who is part of Israel, the people of God who have always birthed the offspring while Satan tries to destroy them. Who does Pharaoh the serpent strike in Egypt? The offspring, the boys, every son born to the Israelites you shall cast into the Nile. And yet God saves one, Moses. Who does Herod, the serpent, strike in the Gospels? The offspring, the boys, all the male children under two slaughtered. And yet God saves his son. Oh, there's a dragon in our nativity, all right trying to destroy the people of God because there is a dragon on every page of our Bibles trying to destroy the people of God. 
trying to destroy us on every hand. And yet look what happens, friends, in verse 4. When the Messiah comes, the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. That, that, that one verse, verse 5, if you look at it, that is... That verse is an amazing condensing of the whole story of the Lord Jesus, isn't it? In one verse, it is all there. His birth, death, resurrection, caught up to heaven in his ascension. He's safe. Jesus is in heaven. And the woman, the church, the people of God who birthed him into the world, where does she remain? She remains down here in the wilderness. Look at it, verse 6, for 1,000 260 days. Last week, we did the maths on that. 1,260 days is three and a half years. Three and a half years is half of seven. Seven, the number of perfection, complete time, perfect time. In other words, 1,260 days is a way of describing a short time. Not a long time, not forever time. This is the time between Christ's ascension and the end of time. It is only a short time, a blink of the eye, and it will be over. Now, in these days, friends, where you and I live in verse 6, the church in exile, waiting for the end. In these days, what happens? What happens in these days? The dragon has been frustrated, hasn't he? Trying to destroy the Messiah, he failed. He has always, always tried to kill the woman's offspring. He failed spectacularly to kill the Messiah at his birth. So what does that mean now for you and me today? For for the dragon, your enemy and my enemy. Well, look at verse 7. Now war arose in heaven. Okay, this is after the woman flees to the wilderness. The church in exile waiting for the end. War arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil, and Satan, the deceiver of the world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Now, I think if you look at verses 7 to 9, I think it would be easy to read that and think that here John is going back to before the beginning of time. It would be easy to read those verses and think this is the original fall of Satan from heaven. It kind of sounds like that, doesn't it? But do you remember what Jesus said in John's gospel? As the Lord Jesus is heading to the cross and beyond the cross, being caught up to heaven, returning to heaven. Do you remember what Jesus said? Looking at the cross, he said, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Do you remember that? As he's about to die, Jesus says, now the dragon will be cast out. Now at this moment, Do you hear that? As the child is caught up to God via the cross and via the grave and through his ascension, as he does those things, the devil is cast out. 
Remember here, John is pulling back the curtains of reality, isn't he? This is a revelation of what is really real. John wants us to ask, what do you see as Mary lies there in the stable, writhing in agony as she gives birth, and the Messiah enters the world? What can you see? Can you see just them in the stable? Or can you see a dragon crouching in the shadows as Herod prepares to send his special forces into the night? The Lord Jesus dies on the cross and sheds his blood. What can you see in the darkness? Simply one man crying out, it is finished. Just that, is that all you can see? Or can you see this morning, friends, with John, the great dragon at that very moment as Jesus cries out, it is finished. Can you see the dragon being defeated? Can you see the war in heaven, Satan defeated, as Jesus does something to win the war? What can you see, John is asking us? Brothers and sisters, at the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, God hands the offspring of the woman the victory. Let me say that again. At the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, God hands the offspring of the woman the victory. As Jesus dies, God's people win. So just look at that with me again. Here it is in verse 10. Satan thrown down, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. Friends, if you take nothing else with you this morning, I want you to take verses 10 and 11. Here is where all of this comes together. Here, here is why using our imaginations today is, is not about make-believe or playing let's pretend. No, this is very, very real. For what John is saying here is that when Jesus died and shed his blood for his people, he broke the devil's teeth, robbed him of his power. Look what the devil is called in verse 10. He's called the accuser of our brothers. And he's called that because he does that. Same verse. What does he do? He accuses them day and night before God. Accusation is Satan's greatest weapon. He's armed with it. Isn't it what he did to Eve in the garden, the first woman? Did God really say? Accuses God of falsehood. Accusation is all he's got in God's presence. Accusation. You... You, you're a Christian? Pull the other one. I saw what you did. I know what you are. Look, God, can't you see? Can't you see what I can see, God? Isn't that what Satan did to God about Job? He, he accused Job in God's presence of only really loving God because of all the good things that he had. Take those good things away from him, God, and he'll buckle. 
Job, Job doesn't really love you. Accusations are a terrible thing, aren't they? A terrible thing. Accusations can maim and cripple and wound and harm beyond belief. And accusations are all around us, aren't they? The mirror accuses you. Not pretty enough, not thin enough, not young enough. Social media accuses you of all those same things. Your family history for every single one of us this morning accuses you in some way. You, you failed, you fell short, not good enough. It's as if somehow the devil takes all of those things and just adds on top of it another layer, the sheer simple fact that we are not good enough for God. And he just hammers away at it with us all the time. This person does not belong in God's new creation. Really? You? You're, you're at church again? Hmm. If only they knew the truth about you. You know, during lockdown uh, the past year, I can say this with my family's permission. I told them I was going to say this. In, in, in lockdown in the past year, the worst argument that Angela and I had in that whole time, came during watching online church. Okay, if you can believe it. Literally while we were watching online church. So we're, we have the TV on, same as everybody else, I guess, or a computer, whatever, and a comment was made that wasn't appreciated, and a response was offered to that comment that in turn wasn't appreciated, and we were off to the races in front of our kids. And the argument that particular Sunday morning was so bad that when worship finished, we had to move to my study to finish the argument off in style. And when the dust settles, the accusations start, don't they? You? You're the minister of those people who were watching the online service at home while you were fighting. Huh, that's interesting. You're a Christian leader, really? Christian husband? Christian father? Oh, friends, look what John calls him. Satan is a prosecuting barrister. And look, friends, here's the thing. That the weapon in God's hand, in Satan's hands, the weapon in Satan's hands is God's own law. God's own truth. Satan is there accusing us and he's got God's holy law in his hands and he's saying to God, look, you wrote this, not me. I didn't make this up. Look what it says. Love the Lord your God with heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And Satan is there pointing, pointing, pointing the finger. How is that going? Keeping that law. Oh, he has a folder in his hand, doesn't he? And the list is long and he accuses and he accuses. And God's law in the devil's hands is opposed to us. We know it's true. We haven't kept it. We've broken it. We've trampled it. That's why the Bible says the devil has the power of death. Because he knows that the punishment for trampling God's law is death. 
Rebellion must be removed. Sin must be punished. And the punishment for our sin is death. So who is going to pay it? Day and night, the devil stands. Incredible phrase, isn't it, in verse 10? Day and night, he never, ever stops. Look what they've done, God, your people. Now, now what are you going to do about it? Where's that death penalty you always said you would mete out? Oh, friends, this dragon is an enemy of all that's good and true. This monster lies and steals and kills. He's coming after you. Unseen he stands for every power that stands against the earth of death, disease, and darkness, overshadowing each birth. All of us know this today, don't we, in some way. All of us, some of us here this morning, look back on more mistakes and more regrets than we've had hot dinners. The dragon has come after us. He he seems to hound us, done nothing but hound us. Others of us here haven't left a trail of destruction behind us, but we still hear the voice of accusation loud and clear ringing in our ears all the time, and we live with it night and day. The problem is real, isn't it? But, friends, gloriously, but, dragons always meet their match. They always meet their doom. A hero rises to the fight to cast them into gloom. And so at this nativity arose another player, the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. He was a dragon slayer. How? How? How does Jesus slay the dragon? Verse 11. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. I I love this, friends. Listen to what someone has said. Listen Listen to these words. God cannot just throw Satan's prosecuting case against us out. He cannot refuse to hear the accuser without denying himself. Okay, it's his own law that Satan uses to accuse us. So Jesus takes away from Satan the power of the accusation because he takes away from us the guilt of the crime. Do you, do you hear that? Jesus takes away from Satan the power of the accusation because he takes away from us the guilt of the crime. As he dies for us as a sacrifice for sin, so he pays for our sin. And all the charges against you today are paid in full. Paid in full. Satan stands there at the bench ready to accuse us. But as he looks down at the charge list, he discovers it's blank. It's gone. There is no charge list anymore. The blood of the lamb has been shed. Isn't that beautiful? The offspring of the woman conquer the dragon by the blood of the lamb. Not guilty dragon anymore. Forgiven, free. 
With the death of Jesus, God has silenced your accuser. That's how he's been destroyed. Jesus entered death. He took on himself the punishment for shattering this world and transgressing God's law. It's why it says that God's people overcome the devil's accusations by the blood of the lamb. When the devil speaks, we speak back. He points to God's broken law and we point to Jesus. We speak back, not to justify ourselves. You ever done that? We do it all the time, don't we? You've been caught out or you've been put on the spot. Someone just confronts you with something, accuses you of something, maybe maybe rightly. And we immediately self-justify, don't we? We make excuses. No, when, when the devil speaks and points to God's broken law, there are no excuses. We simply point to God's bleeding lamb. When the devil says this man has broken what God says is right, we say this man has paid for what I did wrong. Verses 1 to 6, the dragon is frustrated. Verses 7 to 11, the dragon is foiled. Verses 12 to 17, the dragon is furious. Now the serpent is furious. Look at verse 12. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea. To us, that's where we live. For the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. You know, if if the child of the woman, if the Lord Jesus is safe in heaven, the Messiah is now enthroned like we opened Psalm 2 this morning. If the Messiah is safe, then all Satan has left to do is to pursue the church. To pursue you and me until the end of time. So that's next week, friends. Chapter 13, the battle. Look how ominous verse 17 is. Isn't this wonderful writing? The dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. That's you and me. And the dragon stood on the sand of the sea. It's ominous. But that's for next Sunday. It it may be today that all of this talk about the devil, a dragon, is new to you. It's hard to get your head around, isn't it? But... You do know what it is to have a guilty conscience. Maybe this is strange in front of you, but you do know what it is to be fearful of death. The power of death is that after death there is judgment. After death there is a giving back to God, a giving to God an account of who we are and what we've done with his world and all that he gave to us. I am so attracted to the Lord Jesus Christ. I find him so compelling and convincing because he came to destroy the one who wants to accuse me in God's presence. He came to rob him of his power because he came to die. He came to pay for my law-breaking by taking onto himself the penalty that my law-breaking deserves. Oh, this is a glorious, beautiful truth this morning. From high above and long before, 
He knew what must be done. He knew just what was waiting here. And still he chose to come. There's a dragon in my nativity. A fierce and monstrous danger. But fiercer still the bravery and love within the manger. Amen.